From the offices and manufacture of Cereclad Incorporated in Redmond, Washington and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create a healthy living environment. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and lives. For our guest today, Let's welcome Ken Hayes, Managing Principal of Hayes Group Architects. Ken has over 30 years of experience with broad range of project types. Ken's also provided the full range of programming, master planning, architecture and space planning services for high-tech, corporate, commercial developer, and residential clients in the Bay Area. His experience includes new construction, seismic rehabilitation, reuse, building remodeling, and interior architecture. Ken is uh, particularly creative. Its skills are uh, developing strong architectural concepts and solving complex problems, as demonstrated by his award-winning work. For more information, feel free to visit thehazegroup.com. Again, thehazegroup.com. Ken, I'm honored and uh, welcome to uh, the Architecture Innovation Show. Thanks so much, Ken. Well, thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure being here. Good to see you again. You too. Now, Ken, uh, as we talked earlier before the show, is a we said if you have a, a quote or a prayer or a mantra and uh, that you really like or you have a philosophy or belief system, great. If you have your own, I'd love to hear kind of what moves and makes you through the day and through your personal and professional life. Well, thanks, Tom. I, you know, I think right now, given the situation that we are in, my belief in the resilience of human nature and, uh, and what we do is, is very important and carries me through the day, just knowing that you need to be flexible and you kind of move with the, you know, with the punches and uh, uh, hopefully, and I do believe that in the end you come out on the other side. And so it's, you know, it's disruptive, but I think with a belief in resilience, it, it provides, you know, sort of this adaptation as you go through. And uh, I don't know if it's applied on a day-to-day basis, but sort of I'm kind of looking, you know, looking ahead in terms of what, you know, what I see. So resilience is it for me. Now, that, speaking of that disruption and adaptation, a lot of your projects, as you know, I've looked at and uh, really uh, revere your work, Ken, is that ability to disrupt, you know, to handle and respond to disruption and adaptation. Where does that kind of come from in, in its essence with you? Well, I mean, I think if you look at uh, traditional, you know, architectural background and education, you know, it's important that, you know, that you understand that there's many ways to solve a problem and that it's often not the the first solution. Sometimes you have to turn the paper upside down and look at it uh, in a new way. And uh, I think that that, that skill set, that education that you have allows you to you know, look at a problem in many different ways as you sort of circle around a solution. And the projects that you do primarily are in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Do you have a process or you know, a checklist that you go through on every project from beginning to end that... Uh, you know, you and your company somewhat not defines, but at least influences the culture at the Hayes Group. So, the, in terms of how we approach a project and how that might, yeah, uh, yeah, love to hear it. Well, I mean, I, you know, the way that we approach a project, you know, I, I, I believe, you know, architecture or design is an iterative process, and yeah, we want to take into consideration the nature of the site, which looks at all of the sort of the the physical aspects of the site, but also maybe the historical aspects of a site. So you do some research there. But it's also important to understand the social and political ramifications of, or at least initiatives that are 
um, maybe active in the community or popular at the time that really need to be addressed. Um, you know, sustainability would be one of them. But uh, in these local communities where we do our work on the peninsula, there, there can be a lot of a lot of different movements afoot that will influence the success of the project. And of course, you can't forget the client um, in the end. So the owner, or the users, predispositions, um, whether they be aesthetic or functional or budget are very important to consider. So we like to bring all, all those aspects together as we approach, as we you know, start, kick off a project um, in the design phase. Yeah, we'll go back to the, the historical. That's interesting. The historical aspects of a um, of a project. So I noticed a lot of uh, at least your work is. Um, I say you have a high level of range, meaning it's not exactly the same. There's always a remarkable ability to adjust. Is that always a factor in the projects that you look at? Is you know kind of the community, the social, the the, the area that you're uh, you're going to be working, and again the the owner's request. Well, you know, I think it's a, you know it obviously if you. Uh work in there are some architects that work in a very defined style right and you know every time you see the building you kind of have an expectation of what the solution might be or that who designed the building i like to think that we don't work in a predetermined architectural style i mean that's 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 my goal is to make sure that you know site forces site constraints owner input as well as these social and political initiatives in the community are going to come together and help shape what the outcome would be i mean yeah, the, the most difficult thing would be to try to design a building in a complete vacuum, right? But when you have all these different inputs, it can be challenged to manage them and to rate them, let's say, prioritize them. But they all have a say and they all, in the end, get incorporated into the, um, into the building. Like you said historic, you know, so, you know, we did a renovation of a building in downtown Palo Alto. This was years and years ago. And it was a former uh, glass shop. You know, you could go there to order your mirrors or your decorative glass, whatever, and they would cut the glass for you. And so our client had purchased the building and wanted to convert it to a professional office space. Well, we kind of looked to the the history of the building, had this sort of industrial, you know, history to it. And this idea of glass was what they sold. And so the whole facade of this building became a celebration of different kind of glass, right? That you might not typically expect downtown in an office environment. And so we used a uh, fritted glass, we used laminated glass, we used a textured glass on the front facade that, you know, the idea was that it starts to provide some recognition of the past, what was there at one time. And uh, you know, before the show, we had talked, you know, some of our topics that we'd like to address on, the, uh, on our show is the, uh, well, I was going to say post-pandemic, but I don't think we're post yet. I know it's a, maybe a broad question. What's changed for you or, or the most impacting change for you since the, you know, the pandemic as an architect? It's been difficult to, to get used to. I mean, I, pre-COVID, you know, I mean, everybody has a routine and I was no different. I had a you know, typical routine of you know, personal time, exercise, reading, family time. You, know, you come home and you have good quality family time. And, uh, and then there's time for work. And it seemed to be in balance, right? And you know, in fact, the, when this all broke out and we had to shelter in place, I was on my way to our place up in Inverness to, uh, to just relax because we had been coming off of a pretty strong first quarter or first two months, let's say, of the year where it looked like it was going to be a repeat of the last couple of years, which was great. And I just needed a break. So I, I headed up there and the next day my wife came with, her, with my mother-in-law and uh, two days later, the uh, shelter-in-place order was issued. So three months later, I'm still, I was still up there uh, until mid-June with my wife and my mother-in-law and just making 
you know, occasional like once every two week trips back to the office. And it was, you know, I was totally out of out of balance between home and, and office. I'm getting better. I'm mostly in Redwood City now, go up to Inverness less frequently, but I still am working on trying to get this balance together personally. And uh, it's tough not knowing how long, right? And then when you think about it's not just us, it's, it's the entire planet. Everybody is, is suffering. And I actually consider myself extremely lucky that uh, I've not been sick. Um, no one in my family has been sick. I only know two people that have had the virus. And so far, they're, they're both fine. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I, I can really feel for the people that are, that are struggling in um, much you know, different ways. So personally, that's kind of where I am. I'm getting better at the balance, I think, between work and, and home. But in terms of the whole remote work, you know, question and, um, you know, pre-COVID versus now, you know, we had started in the, you know, before COVID to, you know, we went through, we, we, we completely replaced our, our computer servers and started to upgrade all of our IT infrastructure, getting people more and more mobile, right, was a goal. And, uh, and so we have an office in San Francisco as well. And so we established a high-speed internet connection between those two uh, offices, Redwood City and San Francisco. And, you know, we were, we were working very, very well as two offices, as kind of as one, because of all of this uh, infrastructure that we had in place and sharing files and cloud-based backup and applications. Now, I mean, fortunately, we had kind of embarked on this IT infrastructure upgrade. And, uh, and now, you know, we're continuing, obviously, to, to shelter in place. As I said, I've come back to Redwood City occasionally, but right away, we got our staff all set up for remote work. So 24 people within weeks were ready, operating out of their homes. Our IT people were fantastic. They went into everyone's, you know, if someone needed personal assistance, they would go in, set up their switches, their their routers, making sure that they had access to uh, to our, our VPN in both offices. We installed high speed fiber, which we hadn't done before, because we realized we you know we use in the architecture world you're sharing huge files and you're working from a server. I mean, the server basically you know serves up the file that everybody collaborates on real time. And so we have people in Redwood City, of course, now at home, everybody logging in and working from the same server on the same files. And so you had to have lots of speed. I don't know if that would have happened. or It certainly would not have happened as quickly had we not been in the situation that we found ourselves in with, um, with having to work remotely and shelter in place. So I, I think of it as forced change that uh, ended up, I think, you know, having good benefits. And I think that we're going to be able to benefit even more and more down the road as we continue to get better and better at, uh, you know, some of the opportunities. And while we still work with, you know, some of the challenges and, you know, the challenges are, are day in, day out. You know, when I go to the office, there's nobody else there. So I've got, you know, this 5,000 square foot office. I've made the conference room my office, basically. And so, you know, I've got uh, the ability to turn on the big screen and 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 meet with staff, uh, meet with teams. But communication before is still nothing like it is now. You know, our communication before, you know, it was a studio. And I think when when I was on your show three years ago on Modern Architect, I talked about you know about our studio environment and how important uh, it is to culture and to the the quality of the work that that we do and. 
you know, I think the one of the biggest problems that I'm I'm having is that that whole collaborative. Yeah, we're using all the new technologies, but the collaborative in-face environment has come to a you know a quick end, and so I call it visual spontaneity, and that visual spontaneity is gone. And that could be, you know, you walk by someone's desk and you see what they're working on and you provide comment and feedback. You don't have that opportunity right now, but that visual spontaneity is also, you know, you see someone in the office and it triggers something in your, you know, your mind that you had to get back to them on or that you were thinking about them and you had some assignment for them. And not having that kind of reminder visually, things get left behind because it everything's more deliberate now having to, okay, well, you know, I need to talk with you. So let's set up a zoom call and, uh, and we'll see if we can get through the items. And then as soon as you hang up, something else comes up that you either forgot to mention to them, or that is a new, you know, a new, new problem that you, that you want to address. So, you know, as much as I like zoom and I like the, the annotation tools that they have, although they have some ways to go, I think on uh, on making it more uh, more facile to use and and more uh, more descriptive. You know, it's what we have, and it's only going to get better. I hope, and I, I do think that it has you know certainly enabled us to get you know work done while we are sheltered in place. It's just not not like it was like it was before. We're using Google Hangouts a lot. And uh, I don't use it, but instant messaging, that sort of thing is what's keeping people kind of, you know, constantly in touch with each other, at least through, you know, instant messaging, that sort of thing. But there's a lot that's changing. You know, I think it's going to be good coming out the other side. I mean, I've, you know, we've, we've done, you know, the cities have changed. They've, you know, we're having Zoom planning commission meetings, Zoom city council meetings. They're a little difficult just because you you just can't read people as well as you could if you were there in person, right? But uh, but they seem to be, you know, getting you know getting the job done. We've had a couple projects approved during the, this process um, through uh, through Zoom. So you know, so that's working. The cities have all done what we've all been trying to get them to do for years, which is get some systems in place for online city submittals of documents. You know, in the past you'd have to you know, run hundreds of sheets of blueprints and, you know, take these trunk size rolls of, of blue lines or black lines, whatever, down to the city to submit for a building permit, wait in line. And it was just a waste of resources, a waste of time. And so they've all figured out, you know, online submittal, at least here in the communities that we're working with in the Bay Area. So I can appreciate that. And I'm glad that that change, you know, has happened as well. So those are just a few kind of around uh, my personal life and the office life. You know, there's things about office culture that we can talk about, but want to make sure I, I give you time for questions. Excellent. Excellent. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Cereclad. We're talking today with Ken Hayes, Managing Principal of Hayes Group Architects. For more information, feel free to visit their website at thehayesgroup.com. Again, thehayesgroup.com. Ken, yeah, if you would go into the uh, you know the culture and how it's changed, and uh, even provide some examples. Yeah. So before you know COVID, you know we were we we're very focused on on staff. You know we like to celebrate professional you know achievements, personal achievements, even birthdays. We have a very very diverse office culturally. 
countries from all over the world basically represented it. You know, so we we would have uh, luncheons where uh, you know it might be uh, Indian month or Asian month or California cuisine or whatever, and, and people would you know the staff would bring all kinds of food, and I just loved it. It was a way of celebrating. I love I love all that food, and so it was a way of celebrating you know their heritage and and them personally. We had uh, you know mentorships and professional development where you know we have luncheons in the office and either have you know many firms do this kind of lunch and learns where you learn about uh, manufacturers' products or you learn about well, waterproofing a building or you know I shared with the class the you know some things about the course I teach at Stanford on building how buildings are made and. Uh, and so we like to, you know, provide that professional mentorship and development. And so how do we recreate that in the environment that we find ourselves in now? And the second week of shelter in place, I don't know if we coined the name at that time, but we, we call it happy hour. And I'm sure that's heard <laughs> from many different firms, but we just had our 21st happy hour consecutive. So every Friday, four o'clock, the office basically dials into their, you know, hooks up to Zoom and we, we go through for an hour and uh, we talk about, you know, milestones. All right. Anybody have a milestone this, you know, this month or this past week, rather project related um, project design approvals, something personal, you know, what, you know, tell us about any milestones in your, your professional or personal life. And then, you know, maybe a few people have some, but we then like to, you know, share milestones that the company has had, right? So that they're all still in touch because they're all working on disparate projects. And if they're not on a Zoom call with the team, they have no idea really what's going on. So this is an opportunity to get what the office is working on across the office, you know, both offices to all the staff so that they feel like they're part of a, a bigger, you know, a bigger whole. So at this happy hour, you know, we, we, we play games. We have, you know, we have trivia, um, you know, we talk about, you know, their personal lives. Um, they may share photos, their hobbies. Like we found out things about staff that had no idea that these were their, their hobbies. And one guy's a, you know, a, a horseback rider. There's others that, that make sculptures out of found objects. So they, instead of throwing something away, they save all this stuff and they make sculpture. And we had no idea. So, uh, and then last week, number 21, we actually had a sketch. Uh, it wasn't a competition and many of these aren't, it's just share your ideas and there's no judgment. And so we had uh, a sketch game, you know, sketch where you'd rather be right now. You have five minutes and then the rest of this time, we're all going to share our sketches. And so everybody's on the call, unless you happen to have a good excuse and you're on vacation, <laughs> but even some people that have been on vacation <laughs> want to zoom in for the happy hour. And so. Uh, I feel this is the one aspect, one of the other aspects that I think has a big positive. I think we're going to continue this even when we come back to the office because I have never felt closer to our staff than I do now, even though we're distanced. So it's really kind of ironic, right? But it, we've learned so much about each other. And so it's, it's just been a, a great way to get to know everyone. And I, I, really, I really believe that it's my mission to make sure that we that we continue with this. So that's been great. That's kind of where we are on um, on culture. That's terrific. Uh, you know, it f comes in line with you. You talked. Uh, you coined the phrase. I'll give you credit here for it too. Is visual spontaneity. Oh, it sounds like that's an example of it. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. I didn't think of that. You're right. That is the same thing. Here we are. We're all faced off with each other and uh, everyone's got their, that has live video feed running. They've got their live video feed going. And yeah, everyone. Uh, uh, and we try to get uh, everyone to participate. So we have two happy hour coordinators and they make sure that, uh, that if they're looking for something that week, that they get the emails out to everybody. And, you know, if you need to submit pictures of your junior prom, you <laughs> pictures of, if they want a baby picture, yeah. the baby pictures go up. So, so yeah. And, and wow. so it's not just architecture related, although we do have lunch architecture, which is a, a we typically, we send out a, a link to an architectural video or design video once a month and um, staff at their leisure uh, will watch or read whatever happens to be the link. And then we come together for a discussion on design. And so that kind of focuses more on, you know, maybe architecture and, and what we do. And that's more of an elective thing. The happy hour is, is mandatory, although I think everybody wants to be there. That's great. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad. We're, uh, we're talking today with uh, our great guest, Ken Hayes, Managing Principal of Hayes Group Architects. Um, for more information, feel free to visit their website at thehayesgroup.com. Also, we're going to uh, provide a, a public service announcement for uh, the Rotary uh, 5150 of uh, Woodside and Portola Valley. And uh, the Rotary is a worldwide network of inspired individuals who translate their passions into relevant social causes to change lives and communities. The Rotary is made up of over 34,000 clubs around the world and uh, form a global network of businesses, professional and community leaders who volunteer their time and talents to serve communities locally and around the world and form strong, lasting friendships in the process. Their motto is service above self. For more information, feel free to visit the website at rotary5150.org. Again, rotary5150.org. Ken, can you share with us uh, what the uh, Rotary means to you and uh, some of your involvement? Actually, I, I initially joined Rotary at the urging of uh, my father-in-law, who uh, was involved in starting a new club in District 5150 in uh, Woodside, Portola Valley. And it was a time when I had just uh, split with my first business partner, 1996. And I thought that it was going to be an avenue to new projects work, basically. So it was, it was not necessarily focused on um, all the projects that Rotary does around the world and in our communities. It was kind of from the standpoint of, you know, how can I get involved on a business side and establish business relationships? Because my business now, Hayes Group Architects, started them. And, uh, but, uh, the Woodside Portola Valley club is a fairly small club. We have, you know, 20 something members and, uh, and I, I learned pretty quickly that uh, many of them were already retired or were not really there for business relationships, but more about what, uh, what we can do to make our community better. So Rotary is a, it's a service organization. Our mantra is service above self, our club. I've been in the club now for 24. I'm the, actually the oldest, longest serving member of the club. <laughs> yeah. Again. Which is a Very little good. scary. Yeah. Which is a little <laughs> scary. But we do projects all over the world and locally. We've got projects in Africa, Morocco, Library Project, Guatemala. We've got a couple of different projects in, in Africa. And uh, we've got water projects all over the world where we partner with a nonprofit called H2O Open Doors. Look that up. Uh, it's probably h2oopendoors.org. Do incredible water projects around the world. So 
anyway, I've been a member of the club and, and I've enjoyed that uh, relationship for 24 years. Excellent. Ken, is there uh, anything else you'd like to share? We can talk for uh, longer. There's so many uh, questions I, I'd love to ask you, but that we may not, anything you'd like to bring in that uh, we may not have touched on that you feel is really uh, important for uh, your show today. One of the things we, we realized, obviously, early on uh, after uh, the shelter in place uh, commenced and uh, the federal government uh, passed the CARES Act and uh, started the, you know, the PPP loan and the other loans that uh, to small businesses. And I didn't necessarily need the money at the time, but thought that this is something that we should participate in and uh, because we don't know what the future holds, right? And uh, I figured that, uh, you know, it may, this whole pandemic and how it plays out is probably something that is yet to come as opposed to something that we're already halfway through. And so I thought we should, you know, we, we applied for the loan. We got the PPP loan. And uh, I've been reading recently about architecture firms that have, that did apply and receive the PPP loan. And uh, basically 50% of those firms have since the PPP loan have now started to take actions on um, staff related cutbacks. So half the firms that were, you know, that were given the, the loans and, you know, and, and we're, we're among those, you know, I, I looking, you know, in the future, many of our projects have gone on hold. We had so many projects stacked up that had received entitlements that were getting ready to move into the, you know, the con- construction document permitting phase, you know, the next phases of construction where you can really put teams on projects. And, uh, you know, a lot of the construction costs were, were headed up and, uh, you know, these clients were thinking that, you know, we'll just sit back for a little bit. This, something's going to happen. And, uh, we got to wait and see if the construction costs are going to come down. This is before COVID. And so COVID hits and obviously that's a, you know, uh, the knee-jerk reaction is to the owners called and, and put the projects on, you know, kind of an indefinite hold. And so what I've been trying to do is reaching, uh, reaching back out to those clients and trying to press upon them that, number one, you don't want your entitlement to expire, right? Now, many cities allow you to renew the entitlement for one or two more years, but many entitlements basically have a one or two year expiration from the approval date. We don't want, you know, to, to waste that time and money that went into the entitlement. You know, how can we move the project forward so that, because I, what I see down the road and from what I've read, you know, there's predictions that construction costs are going to come down, right? I mean, it's supply and demand. And if construction projects, many of them have gone on hold, there's going to be a, you know, a gap in work out there, uh, construction work. So prediction is five to 10%. I actually think it's probably going to be more. Uh, I have nothing really to base that on other than experience with what we're seeing. So I'm trying to communicate this with our clients that if you want to be in a position to be able to take advantage of this decline in construction costs, because who knows how transitory it'll be, right? It may be prolonged, but it may just be a blip, right? Or a dip rather. And, And so how do you get yourself in a position where you know, if you want to proceed because this dip is there and and you can capture some good value, you need to have a building permit and there's no other way, right? So uh, I'm trying to impress on them to at least get to the building permit phase so that should the environment change, they've got, um, they're prepared to take the next step and move forward. 
So hopefully I'll be successful in that. Like you said at the beginning of the show, we have a pretty good cross-section of the kind of projects that we work on. We do a lot of a lot of commercial work, but a lot of multifamily mixed-use projects. And fortunately, the forecasting for multifamily is still fairly uh, fairly positive. The Architectural Buildings Index is published by the AIA. Is was uh, you know if if you get a, a reading of fifty, that's kind of status quo. Anything above fifty is an improving environment. Anything below fifty is a diminishing environment. And right now in June it was forty, so obviously a diminishing environment. In July, it was also 40. I probably, you know, in August, it's probably going to be similar. Pre-COVID, it was 53.4, which was an improving environment, which was good. In March, it was 33. So it went way down right when this all kind of hit and then has had slow improvement. But uh, I think the architectural firms are still going to see a, um, a shortfall in billings for, uh, for some time to come. So anyway, so we're seeing new projects, but they're not new buildings. They're parklets. So we've done restaurants, uh, we do you know, uh, hospitality, fitness centers, boutique spas, that sort of thing. So we're working with uh, a number of them, developing ways to allow them to open their business and be able to do massages outside. So we're converting a parking lot into you know, a place that can be private. So we've got to think of some kind of enclosure. And then within that enclosure, other enclosures for massage tables and that sort of thing. So it's a whole new, you know, and then you got to think about path of travel to keep people separated and social distancing. So that's a new endeavor that, you know, who would have thought be doing that? Parklets, downtowns, how do we keep the restaurants thriving or at least, you know, being able to serve meals and keep their staff employed? So they're moving it out into the street. You know, you want that to look nice. You want to be able to attract, uh, attract people and, uh, um, and differentiate yourself from, uh, from your neighboring restaurant. So that's something else that we're doing. And obviously, we're trying to educate ourselves more on um, COVID workplace modifications and, and, and that sort of thing. Another aspect is, you know, we've done residential, single family residential. And uh, I think that because people are going to be at home, prolonged period, potentially. And I think if you look at Home Depot, Lowe's, these uh, DIY type suppliers of materials, their businesses have, have really shown an uptick since COVID. And so there's a lot of home improvement projects that are happening now. And I actually think this may be a time where we see a lot of these ADUs. There's a lot of companies out there promoting ADUs, but I think that wouldn't it be great to build an ADU provided you can do it quickly and it's all set up to do it quickly with no discretionary review, right? You go right to building permit. And uh, people are going to be building ADUs to have home offices in their backyard so that they can get out of the house into the backyard and then hopefully they'll convert to housing. Right? But that's what I think is going um, to happen. So we're focusing on all of those areas as well as our, uh, our core work and trying to get projects to, to move forward. Ken, this has just been outstanding. It's always an honor, of course, to, uh, to talk with you and, and uh, Appreciate a it. pleasure as well. I hope you consider coming back again soon. I love having you on. It's so insightful and yeah. It's just great to have you. I love the way you stay in touch. Um, you send <laughs> out, uh, little cards and notes and emails. It's, it's great. Yes, I appreciate that. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Suraclad. Our guest today has been Ken Hayes, Managing Principal of Hayes Group Architects. Ken has over 30 years of experience with a broad range of project types, and he's provided a full range of programming, master planning, architecture, and space planning services for, uh, for high-tech, corporate, commercial, developer, and uh, residential clients in the Bay Area. His expertise 
includes new construction, seismic rehabilitation, reuse, building remodeling, and interior architecture. Ken's uh, and his firm is particularly creative in uh, developing strong architectural concepts and solving uh, complex problems as demonstrated by their award-winning work. For more information, feel free to visit thehaysgroup.com. Again, thehaysgroup.com. You've been listening again to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Sarah Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions designers bring to industries, organizations, and communities. Looking forward to you joining us again next time. I'm Tom Dioro. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is recorded from the offices of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location. Executive producer and host of the Architecture and Innovation Podcast is yours truly, Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is podcasts at syraclad.com. Again, that's podcasts at syraclad.com.